Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. So, Evan, would you please give a foundation welcome to our brother J.D. Rinks. Good morning, church. All right. Am I reading Advent part two? All right. Advent is a special season for the Christian to prepare the heart for worship. We simultaneously look back to Christ's first coming with gratitude and look forward to his second coming with hope. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7 says, Nevertheless, and despair will not go on forever. The land will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and of the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. in case we get accidentally skipped over with religious language. Allow me to define the word Advent. It means a coming or an arrival. And the Advent that we celebrate, Christians have been celebrating for 2,000 years, has always been looking backward and forward at the same time. Jesus came and he offered grace and mercy. He showed patience with sinners like us. He didn't come with fire and brimstone 2,000 years ago. How many of you guys know that? He could have. That's not the heart of God. He is just, but he is also love. And so he came to offer mercy. He came to offer reconciliation with him. And scripture is also very clear. There's a second advent. He's coming again where all of the justice that we were expecting 2,000 years ago with Messiah, and he brought mercy and surprised us, all of that justice is coming. It's bad news if we're still at war with God. It's incredible news if we are his friend. In between advents, though, what do we do? what theologians call the church age. What do we do? Jesus took on flesh and became one of us 2,000 years ago. 
And then he's going to be amongst his people, God among us, God with us, God with us is used repeatedly. I want to say it's Revelation 9. Don't quote me on that. But there's a chapter where he says, God says it three times in a row. God with his people was his intention in the garden. It's what he did 2,000 years ago in the life and ministry of Jesus. And it is what the new heavens and the earth will be, where we will walk around and Jesus will be there. God with us is his intention. It is his plan. What do we do now? How do we embody God with us when he said something scary like, you are the light of the world? Jesus floats up into heaven and we're sitting there staring into heaven. Of course we're staring into heaven. Now what do we do? Wouldn't that be intimidating? Uh, terrifying. But now what do we, Jesus, you're the one who walked on water. You're the one who fed 5,000. You, you raised the dead and then you left? Thanks a lot. To which the Holy Spirit, filling our earliest brothers and sisters, helped them to realize he's been telling us this for three and a half years. Didn't he send us out two by two to preach and proclaim and heal in his name? Didn't he give us the Great Commission a few weeks ago, saying as we go, make disciples of all nations? I guess he meant it. I, I guess he meant it. Um, our first sermon of this series, oh man, I'm sorry, I'm, I messed up these slides, they're super low. Um, what is it to incarnate for the Christian to put on flesh in all the different spheres that God has entrusted to us. We're going to start really big. We're going to start with the whole world, and we're going to get smaller and smaller between now and Christmas going, how do I put on flesh? How do I be the hands of Jesus? How do I take Christ's first incarnation in particular and use it as a model of ministry? How, what is Jesus expecting me to do? Who is Jesus expecting me to be? And the results of this, of course, how do we make Advent what it ought to be? It's going to naturally flow out of the, asking this question. So grab your pens. Here we go. Oh, I didn't offer free Bibles. Glenn, I'm just going to give you a Nerf gun, and you can whack me with one of those darts when I'm skipping things, which is often, of course. Please put a hand up if you need a Bible. Uh, Glenn is kind and quick. He's going to get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Note takers, here's your first blank of a one-point sermon. Who here doesn't believe me? Ah, Jared smiled ear to ear. He's like, there's no way. There is no way. If you guys don't believe me, just wait. Sometimes things are too big to convolute them with second and third points. So here we are. Missions will never be treated as a mere department within this church because it is the entire motivation of God. Yeah, now you're all wondering, what is he going to do between now and 1020? Just you wait, Henry Higgins. I'm going to say it again. Missions will never. We have to, you guys know sometimes culture happens because you get angry and you stomp your foot. Anybody here, the way you ran your home, something was going the way you didn't, and then, you know, you had to draw a line in the sand. You had to put your foot down. You got to get a little Holy Spirit angry here like Jesus clearing the temple. It will not be just a department. We're not going to allow our brains to say, oh, we have a team for missions. That's not my problem. We're not doing that here. It's not going to happen. 
We're going to unpack for 35 plus minutes. Why? That's not what we're doing. Because I'm about to show you from Scripture that God's name and fame going out to all people groups has always been his agenda. It is the movement of the kingdom of God. Knowing him and making him known, that's the church's job because that's the identity and task that we've been given by our Savior. So, just in case you don't believe me, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Most of the families in the earth might get blessed a little bit through you. Did I read it right? But we guys know this is the foundation of Israel, right? The nation of Israel doesn't even exist yet. Sarai hasn't had a child yet. Israel was always to be a blessing to all of the ethnos, all of the people groups. It was always in God's heart, always. Listen to this. <laughs> this is Solomon dedicating the temple, and he prays this prayer. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. Whew. Aren't you glad you've heard of him? They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. Check this out. <laughs> Nevertheless, didn't you just hear this a second ago? That time of darkness and despair will not go on. There's a horrible war that Isaiah describes right before this. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the... If I don't have a church background, you've got to unpack that for me. What is the word Gentile? Every single ethnic group that is not Jewish, everyone else, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, Galilee will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. Did you just hear enlarge? That means we get more land, right? The 12 tribes have this narrow strip of land. We're going to get some more land, right? That must be what God means. I hope not, because I'm not ethnically Jewish. I hope he loves the nations. They will rejoice before you as people rejoicing at harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. So think of these two images. These are provision. Harvest, we're saved. Plunder, we just had a military victory. We're saved. We didn't die. The way that you respond in joy when you, could, you were on the edge of death and God steps in and saves you, that's going to be the kind of joy for a Christian seeing somebody else come to Christ. They realize it's that big of a deal. <laughs> Us four no more, please. That's satanic. Us designing church ministry for our comfort. That's satanic. Jesus loves everybody. Listen to this. Be just and fair to all. 
Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. This is also in Isaiah. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. Did you hear that? He just forbade. I thought my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions are mine. <laughs> no. If you're utterly convinced that God doesn't love you, God just commanded the Christians to speak up. And don't let the eunuch say, I am a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, right? When God speaks, there is truth, capital T, right? You and I, we can believe something in the moment, but then the Lord speaks and everything changes. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. When Jesus gets ticked off, what does he say they did with the outer court of the temple? They turned it into a den of thieves instead of a... So Jesus knew his Bible, his listeners would have known it as well. I will accept their burnt offerings. Who's the they? People who were not of Israel who decided to love God and follow God. They get to sacrifice? Isn't that blasphemy? You're unclean because you're a eunuch. You're unclean because you're a Moabite. You're unclean because you're from Ethiopia. You're... It sounds like God is breaking his own rules. God, I thought you said we were special. And he reminds us, oh, no, no, no. I blessed you so you could be a blessing. He has not changed his tune in thousands of years. I blessed you so you could be a blessing. Because my temple will be called. Did he, does that sound like a suggestion? Will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Habakkuk says this, for as the waters fill the sea, is that a lot? Is that 100%? Waters filling the sea? It's purposefully ludicrous. The earth one day will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. How do you fill the earth with awareness of his glory without a Gentile or two coming to Jesus? Huh? You ever think of that? How could the family of God stay retained inside some tight little box if the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to go everywhere? Every tribe, every people, every nation. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Those of you with a background in church, what was Jesus doing physically? What was he doing with his body while he shouted this to the crowd? Yeah. He fashioned a whip, went into the temple, 
drove out animals and animal sellers, and drove out money changers from the court of the Gentiles, the only place where a non-Jew could come and pray. The Jews had said, I am totally okay if my sheep poop here. I don't care that you have a place to pray. Not my concern. And God is angry. Are you angry? Well, if you got three kids and one of them has total disregard for the other two, are you angry? One kid punches the other? Man, we still do this, guys. 20 centuries later, we still, so much temptation to do this, but we were sitting in our comfortable little box 2,000 years ago. We like it this way. And God, who knows all things, he knows who he's going to save. He knows who the Holy Spirit is pursuing and wooing and drawing. He knows that he's going to lower a bunch of animals in a sheet down before Peter three times and tell him to kill and eat to try to communicate, get through his thick head. I love everybody. The start of the book of Acts, Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Does that sound like Habakkuk 2.14 to you? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters fill the seas. It is the church, it is the beautiful feet of those who carry good news that are fulfilling Habakkuk 2.14. As we go, we make disciples of all nations. These verses all fit together. So, some things that I, I need to tell you now that we've got kind of our theological lens need to tell you about some things that are sometimes considered internal ministry about why we do them. I wrote them down so I didn't forget anything. We do youth ministry so that all people groups will know him. I haven't expressly said it. The word nations in English is not helpful to us at all because we have a 19th and 20th century image of a... Uh, of a political entity with boundaries. This is ethnos, every single people group. Every single people group on earth. Are teenagers a people group? Would potentially our approach to bringing the love of God to them, might that be a slightly different approach than bringing it to somebody a different age? Bring the gospel to a four-year-old, is that different than bringing it to a 40-year-old? Okay. We host homeless folks during winter sanctuary so that all people groups might know him. That's why we do it. We help women who have cri are in crisis pregnancies so that all people groups might know him. We teach our children the gospel in Foundation Kids to send them out into the world like arrows so that all people groups might know him. We visit prisoners and share the gospel with them so that all people groups might know him. And yeah, we go as missionaries, we send missionaries, we train missionaries to the ends of the earth so that all people groups might know him. 
Do you see that broadening? It's not the missions department that does missions. It's Christians that do missions. It's Christians that do missions. So a natural question to ask ourselves is, okay, if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus worldwide, even to a millennial where the internet gives us access across the whole planet, lightning fast, it's still intimidating. We still need to ask the question, how can we put on flesh, be the hands and feet of Jesus across an entire planet? I'm so glad you guys asked. I have three stories to tell. See how I'm getting around that whole one sermon point thing? I'm just telling stories. These aren't points. These are, these are missionary stories. Adoniram Judson. This is to get our, uh, get our heads around what God has been up to the last couple hundred years. Just a few stories. Judson was told by the Serampore Baptists that Burma was impermeable to Christian evangelism. Judson, who already knew Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, like you do, immediately began studying Burmese grammar, but it took over three years to learn how to speak it. Boy, was he slow on the uptake. Three whole years. <laughs> this was due in part to the radical difference between the sentence structure in Burmese and Western languages. He found a tutor and spent 12 hours per day studying the language. Did you guys just hear what I heard? Is this guy taking this serious? He and his wife firmly dedicated themselves to understanding it. During this time, they were almost entirely isolated from contact from any European or American. Four years passed before Judson dared even to hold a semi-public service. At first, he tried adapting to Burmese customs by wearing a yellow robe to mark himself as a religious teacher, but he soon changed to white to show that he was not Buddhist. Then he gave up the whole attempt as artificial and decided, regardless of his dress, no Burmese would identify him as anything but a foreigner. He accommodated some Burmese customs and built a zayat, the customary bamboo and thatch reception shelter on the street near his home as a reception room and a meeting place for Burmese men. Fifteen men came to his first public meeting in April 1819. He was encouraged but suspected they had come more out of curiosity than anything else. Anybody here? Felt that one before? It's hard. It's a long slog. It's not always easy. Even the people who are coming, you're not sure that they're really interested in Jesus. And this is one of the most successful missionaries of the 19th century. Their attention wandered. They soon became uninterested. Two months later, he baptized his first Burmese convert, Mong Na, a 35-year-old timber worker from the hill tribes. First attempts by the Judsons to interest the natives of Rangoon with the gospel of Jesus met with almost total indifference. Buddhist traditions and the Burmese worldview at the time led many to disregard the pleadings of Adoniram and his wife to believe in one living and all-powerful God. Their second child, Roger William Judson, died at eight months of age. Judson completed the translation of the gospel of Matthew in 1817. Wow. Judson began public evangelism in 1818, sitting in a Zayat by the roadside, calling, Ho, everyone that thirsteth for knowledge. The first believer was baptized in 1819, and there were 18 believers by 1822. Three years of preaching in his church is now 20 people, him and his wife and 18 others. 
We wouldn't know his name 250 years later if other things hadn't happened, but I wanted to show you the struggle. I wanted to paint the picture. Let's hear another story. Hudson Taylor was a British Baptist Christian missionary to China, founder of the China Inland Mission. Taylor spent 54 years in China. Did you guys hear that one? Okay. I just read an awesome book a year and a half ago from a missionary who's serving in Morocco, pleading with Americans, hey, please, please, please go on a short-term mission trip before you leave high school because we need to know if God has a calling on your life. If he has a calling on your life, the calling's way bigger than you think. He personally spent seven years learning Arabic. It, it took him longer than Judson. Um, 54 years. We need to know who's called to this, right? Wow. The society that he began was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to the country who started 125 schools and directly resulted in 20,000 Christian conversions. Taylor was known for his admiration of Chinese culture and zeal for evangelism. He adopted wearing native Chinese clothing, even though this was very rare among missionaries at the time. Under his leadership, the China Inland Mission was singularly non-denominational in practice, accepted members from all Protestant groups, including individuals from the working class, single women, multinational recruits, etc. Primarily because of the CIM's campaign against the opium trade, Taylor has been referred to as one of the most significant Europeans to visit China in the 19th century. Did you hear how he's there to tell people about Jesus, but he's going to fight substances that are destroying people's lives? You hear that one? These are not mutually exclusive, brothers and sisters. Nowadays, it's, it's more popular to be so busy doing good stuff that people will applaud. We never get around to the gospel that people will shout down. The, the fighting drugs part doesn't intimidate us at all. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll post on Twitter, yeah, drugs are bad. That, that's not the scary part. Historian Ruth Tucker summarizes the theme of his life. Quote, no other missionary in the 19th centuries since Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systematized plan of evangelization abroad than Hudson Taylor. Taylor was able to preach in several varieties of Chinese, including Mandarin, Zhang, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Zhao, and the Wu dialects of Shanghai and Ningbo. He could preach in five languages. Man! The last of these he knew well enough to prepare a colloquial edition of the New Testament written in it. Praise the Lord for that. When these folks do the hard work of translating one or more books of the Bible, is that a gift that keeps on giving after their death? Yeah, big deal. Let's hear about Amy Carmichael. Initially traveling to Japan and staying for 15 months, Carmichael returned home for health reasons. She went to Bangalore, India, where she chose to stay to work, continue her work as a missionary. Her most notable work was with young girls, uh, some of whom were rescued from customs that amounted to forced prostitution. Carmichael founded the Donover Fellowship in 1901 to continue her work. Donover is situated 30 miles from India's southern tip. Carmichael's fellowship transformed Donover into a sanctuary of over a thousand children. Carmichael often said that her ministry of rescuing temple children started with a girl named Prina. Having become a temple servant against her wishes, Prina managed to escape. 
Amy Carmichael provided her shelter and withstood the threats of those who insisted the girl be uh, returned either to the temple directly to continue her, her sexual assignments or to her family for a more indirect return to the temple. The number of such incidents grew and thus beginning Amy Carmichael's new ministry. In an attempt to respect Indian culture, members of the Donover organization wore Indian dress. Carmichael herself dressed in Indian clothes, you guys ready for this? And dyed her skin with dark coffee. Brothers and sisters, this is an important question for all of us. Is there anything you would do short of sin to help somebody know the Lord Jesus Christ? I use that language on purpose because that is the mission statement of a church down in Los Angeles. It, it says, you, the saints, you are allowed to do anything short of sinning to bring somebody to Jesus. <laughs> If the Bible does not expressly forbid it, go for it. Why? Because we've got 2,000 years of history of people doing crazy things, like enjoying a nice espresso, but using the beans to color one's skin because they believe they'll be more culturally accepted. Wow. While serving in India, Carmichael received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary, asking, what is missionary life like? Carmichael wrote back, Missionary life is simply a chance to die. That makes me think of the movie Braveheart, where William Wallace says, every man dies, not every man truly lives. It's kind of like what it sounds like to me. In 1912, money and workers were available that helped fund a hospital in Donvener. By Donover. In 1913, the Donover Fellowship was serving 130 girls. In 1918, Donover added a home for young boys, many born, born to the former temple prostitutes. Is it cool to hear the stories of God? Did anything in those three people's lives, did that happen by their own effort? I hope you feel that the no is strong, concrete. The Holy Spirit is the one moving his church and leading his church, and giving us courage in dark places. Let's get to some take-home stuff for you and for me. I want to encourage you, and I want to beg you, prioritize missions in teaching. You guys, teach your kids at home. Teach your grandkids. When you're with them, teach your nieces and nephews. Teach in foundation kids. It should be a foregone conclusion, but sometimes we make huge mistakes when we assume if we taught our children and if we taught foundation kids nothing about missions, we would have effectively said all throughout the Bible we would have left out all the texts that we just went through. We would have left out this minor detail of Jesus loves everybody and he is seeking and saving the lost amongst every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Uh, Advent is an incredible time where I try to encourage you guys every year to be really careful and really purposeful. If you're still raising kids, tell them, yes, there are going to be presents under the tree, and those are a picture of the ultimate gift. God gave us Jesus. We are celebrating Jesus' birthday. Jesus washed our sins away. That is what we are doing here, right? That is taking the Advent season and making sure not to miss an opportunity. 
all of our teaching of our kids, if we're going to show them the counsel of God, we want to show them the whole counsel of God, the way Paul talked about. They need to know that when we say God loves you, everybody loves hearing that phrase. That's nice. It doesn't have any teeth in it. It's, it's broad. But as soon as like, I see a racist tendency inside my heart, that's when I realize, oh, I have a barrier inside my heart. God loves everybody except. I have a little except somewhere lurking in my heart, don't I? Sexism, I have an except. God loves everybody except. Class-based warfare, hating somebody because they're rich, hating somebody because they're poor. God loves everybody except, right? We have to teach others, especially our kids, to smash, that God's love smashes through all of our accepts. That is the point of the story of the Good Samaritan. Somebody who's not the same color as you served you and loved you and risked his life for you. And you're so racist, you can't even accept the truth of what Jesus is saying. God's love smashes through these barriers. We need to teach that to our children every time. When, when sister hits you and you don't want to love sister and you don't want to think or feel in that moment that she is just as loved as you are. loves the guilty. There's no such thing as innocent. He loves the guilty. Teach it to your kids, brothers and sisters. Teach it to your grandkids. Teach it in foundation kids. Prioritize authentic relationship with missionary families. This is by far the most tactical thing I'm asking us to do. This is two-pronged of what I'm asking. Number one, Many of you guys already receive monthly or every other month emails from some of our missionaries. We support five or six different families. And I would love it. I know some of you live by email and some of you hate it and avoid it. You've got 2,200 messages in your inbox right now. And I know you do because your spouse just looked at you. If you actually use your email, if you actually read them, let me encourage you in strongest terms, getting prayer emails from our missionaries is an incredible uh, and a pretty low bar, frankly. They send it. All you have to do is, is sign up. Um, so if you would um, just email me and say, hey, Greg, I would like that, and I will send you the link because I, I get their emails, and I will send, hey, here's the link to, to just click, and, and boom, you, you signed up and get their newsletters. If we don't have any clue what's going on in the lives of our missionaries, we're, we're relationally divorced, our emotions are divorced. How many of you guys know you care for somebody more when you know what's going on in their life? You're thinking about them. You're actively praying for them. It engages the way we're human. And I, I want us to be fully engaged. I, I do not want the folks who show up for a missions team meeting to ever feel like they are alone in caring for our missionaries. Can I get an amen somewhere? I don't ever want the missions team to feel alone. I don't want our youth ministry team to feel like they're the only ones who love teenagers. I don't want Foundation Kids to feel like they're the only ones who love kids. Are you with me? I don't want the Kairos team to feel like they're the only ones who care about the incarcerated, finding Christ. Okay. Secondly, I'd like to cast a vision for you guys inside this. Um, I would really, really love it. And forgive me if this is already happening. It's just that I've asked around a little bit and I don't know that it is happening. If you're the kind of person who loves remembering birthdays. If you're the kind of person who loves remembering anniversaries, you're the kind of person who loves writing encouraging notes, I would like to, if uh, Charles is okay with it, he's our elder over 
um, missions. If we could create and fill a volunteer position of somebody who would not only receive those emails, but would get all of our missionaries' birthdays and anniversaries, their kids' birthdays. Okay, we can't, maybe we could, mail something to the far side of the planet, but with the, with the world of email, and you can send a really nice digital card, it means, I'm guessing, something really big. When this church on the other side of the planet is regularly telling you that they are praying for you specifically by name, the requests that you gave, and we remembered your birthday, and we remembered your anniversary. I would like, here's another way of saying it, I would like for our pastoral care of our missionary families to, to go up a notch. Does that make sense? If that is something that you'd be interested in participating and just, just really staying on top of their lives and encouraging them and letting them know you care about them and you're praying for them, um, please talk to Charles. If you don't know who Charles is, come talk to me. I would love for us to do that. Brothers and sisters, stay hungry until we have a plan for an unreached people group. There are things that are so big, but we're so clearly called to, that a church of our size can be intimidated. We can go, that is just too big for us. So sometimes what you have to do, you have to stay hungry and keep just submitting it to the Lord. Lord, if you have a plan for us one day, we are ready. Lord, we'll do the hard work. We'll keep repenting deeply. We'll keep caring for people that are total strangers to us. We'll care for people in a different language, different group, different nation, different continent. But when something really hard comes along, Lord, if you will equip us, we are ready. If you will provide the way, we are ready. Southern Baptists, whatever you want to critique, they're great on their data. They care about missions. They care about data. Each of these red dots, and you'll notice some of them are right here in Northern California. This is not showing the population of where unreached peoples are. This is a red dot identifying every single group. So the reason India is blanketed is because there are so many languages spoken in this one subcontinent that every group that does not have a really a viable Christian presence, their definition of unengaged, unreached, is that there is no church for that people. There is none. So, so to help you understand the concept, why, how can Northern California possibly have this? Well, I'm glad you asked. If seven or 8,000 people fled Mongolia during a crisis and all settled in the Sacramento area, linguistically, ethnically, and culturally Mongolian, the Southern Baptists look at it and go, do we have a Mongolian church in Sacramento? They ask the question that specifically. Because you look at the cultural behaviors, we all do it. How hard is it to walk into a church where they do speak your language? That's intimidating, that's, right? Checking out a new church is, is scary. How, why on earth would you walk into a church where they don't speak your language, different color, different culture? That's scary. So missions organizations are going, if there are 7,000 Mongolians in Sacramento, they're an unreached people group until there is a church there. Is there even seven, are there seven believers there that are culturally Mongolian, speaking the Mongolian language, representing Christ, the, 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 the living Christ inside this cultural context? Do they have a church for them? That's, that's what they're actually asking. So if you see the number down here, almost 3,200 separately identified people groups making up 
277 million people don't have a church they can go to. You and I have grown up in a world where no matter how pagan our upbringing, we could theoretically bump into a Christian at work. And we've seen that sometimes as an inconvenience. Oh no, my coworker's trying to get me to get religion. There are so many people groups on earth that don't have a chance to bump into a Christian, let alone become friends, let alone hear the gospel. That's why you'll notice there's one terrifying dot that you can barely notice in the middle of Japan. Most of you probably know Japan is less than 1% Christian. How on earth is there only one dot? Because it's representing people group, not population. They are ethnically one group. Most of the country is one ethnicity. And they can live an 85-year life never bumping into a Christian. Even though they've got religious freedom, they are free to go to church. Why would you go to... like? What's the point? It's irrelevant. What I want to put before you is it might sound really scary and it might sound really big to find here in our midst somebody who is one day going to study linguistics and fly to a Pacific island for the souls of just 600 people. But there are places all over the world of what we would sometimes think of as relatively small groups of people. There is no gospel presence there, and many times it's because the Bible's not even been translated into their language yet. Oh, wait, sometimes that language hasn't even been codified. There is no written language yet. Christians are the ones who are going to do the work. Amazon's not going to do it to make 600 more customers. It's up to us. And it's going to be scary things. You might be in the middle of your career. You might be at the end of your career right now going, Greg, there's no way I could have anything to do with this. But the scariest part, and I'm saying this with three kids, we have to put a vision in front of our children that if they put 54 years of their life into a little island with 600 folks, that that is a life well lived. That if they have to study some crazy language that is not written, so they have to learn it auditorily on the ground, We have to put it before our children that this is an incredible way to live your life. We cannot teach our children that going out and earning money is success. We have to teach them that the kingdom is real, that heaven and hell are real, that Christ's beauty, his face, is worth giving all for. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field. If I get on a boat and I have no intention of ever coming back, that's fine. That might be easy to say for yourself if you're in your 20s and you're single. It's terrified when that single 22-year-old man is your son. So we have to do work inside our own hearts to decide, does Jesus love everybody? That question's going to cost us something, church. The biggest and most important things in life, they cost us something. Going along, two other things I want to encourage you to do. This incredible book, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, the fact that across numerous denominations for over 30 years, this book has been cherished. Um, If I had my way, and I'm not telling Charles how to do his job, but if I had my way, every person in the church that would like to get involved in missions, help training, help coaching, go on a trip yourself, if I, I'm meaner, let's be honest, everybody knows this, I am way meaner than Charles is. Can we just breathe out? I'm mean. 
I would have you read this book before I let you even attend a fundraiser for a mission trip. That's how beautiful it is. And, and, and John is going to, and it's a pretty short book too, he's going to show you that God gets his joy as people get their joy of seeing the face of Jesus. That the kingdom of God going out is an explosion of joy and gladness as the created is reconciled to their creator. It is a textbook on missions. I want to encourage you to pick that up and read it. And then last, I would encourage you to commit to going on a mission trip in 2024, funding a brother or sister who's going on a mission trip in 2024, and here's your blank, or training someone. Training someone. They need to learn a little bit about missions, and you've done missions before. They need to learn a little bit about a culture, and maybe you know that culture, maybe that is your culture. They need to know language, and you say, man, I don't know that language, but I'll buy Babel software for you. Like, there are ways that we can train and equip and encourage. I've gone long, so I'm going to allow J.D. Greer to finish this sermon, a pastor in North Carolina. In missions, a Christian has three options. Go, send, disobey. Lord Jesus, would you please make the Foundation family deeply in love with your glory going out to everybody. Father, help us to love people groups that we've never heard about. Help us to love somebody in our place of work that we haven't met. We know they exist, but we haven't talked with them. Help us to love our neighbors on our street so that we might learn how to cross barriers for the sake of your gospel. God, for those of us who are parents, God, would you make worshipers out of us because we are so convinced that these are our kids and it's just not true. They are yours. They are yours first and foremost and we ask you to help us hold our children loosely because they are in the Father's hands. Father, that terrifies us because we think we love our kids more than you love our kids, and it's simply not true. Make us exactly who you would have us to be as a people. God, show your face to us if we've never seen the face of Jesus before. We're exploring Christianity. Help us to see you rightly as we explore the scriptures. God, make our love to grow, God, because if we can love people we've never met, we can love anybody. Make it happen, God, for the glory of your name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love you. Married folks, folks who want to be married again, the copy of the book, our sister bought it for you already. It is sitting on the back table. <laughs>